and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Sarah Thompson, the Communications Manager at the ACFE, and today I'm joined by Scott Ward, Senior Vice President with Clarent. Thank you for joining us today, Scott. Thank you for having me today. So, Scott, you have extensive experience in the healthcare fraud field, especially investigating and auditing cases related to Medicare and Medicaid. And I know that medical identity theft has become a hot topic over the past few years. Can you start us off by explaining what medical identity theft is? Certainly. Medical identity theft is, you know, when someone, an individual, uses your personal information by stealing it, such as your name, social security number, uh, health, health insurance number, like if it's private insurance, Medicare number, Medicaid number, to submit fraudulent claims uh, to health insurers and to you know, government-funded programs without your authorization. So how does that differ from regular identity theft? Well, you know, with, with traditional uh, or, you know, regular identity theft, you know, you most likely are going to realize it relatively quickly that it happens, such as, you know, credit card uh, fraud or theft. You might get an alert from your company uh, that you have your credit card with, or you might see that someone is, uh, you know, you get an alert from your bank because there's a lot of uh, checks and balances in place. But in most cases, when it comes to medical identity theft, you really don't know you may have been a victim until maybe you go for medical treatments or you have some life-threatening emergency procedure. Uh, And it's something that can happen uh, and can sit and grow for years without you ever knowing. That sounds just like the worst case scenario if you're going in for something that you're already possibly stressed out because you have to make a serious medical decision and only to find out then when you're at your lowest (laughs) that someone has stolen that. That's horrible. So what is it about healthcare data specifically that makes it an attractive target for fraudsters trying to steal identities? Like are also, are there fraudsters that only target medical identity theft or do they also do regular identity theft or a mix of the two but what is it about medical data well i i think that what is a common misconception is that you know the public doesn't may or may not realize the value of what uh their their data is related to medical care uh, the value of it and you know from a, a medicare medicaid standpoint uh a person's uh, personal health information or your identifiers, you know, are valued anywhere from a, a million to a million and a half dollars in potential Medicare medical uh, charges that could be billed to those contracts. And then private insurance, it could be even more than that, depending upon what type of um, services that you may uh, see that have been, you know, fraudulently billed. Uh, it's also uh, you know, from a standpoint of, of the types of frauds out there, it's relatively, uh, fraudsters believe that it's a victimless crime because they're not uh, impacting anyone, but that's really not the case. Uh, the other reasons, some other reasons why this is something that's really attractive or targeted is because with the compromised credentials, uh, identity thieves can use that victim's data to 
even acquire medical treatments, receive elective surgeries, uh, get prescriptions filled as well. You know, they can also use that information to sell to other individuals that may not have, uh, you know, healthcare benefits or things of that nature that, you know, the, another individual could actually get the benefits instead of who is actually uh, those benefits are intended for. What are some of the common schemes that you see with medical identity theft? Like, are there more common ways than others in order to access and steal that data? Is there more common ways for people to use that? Like you mentioned, using it to get elected surgeries or get prescriptions filled. What are some of the trends that you, you see? Is some of the common schemes that, that have been identified with, with uh, identity thieves stealing individuals' protected health information are things like you, you see, uh, probably one of the most common that people could relate to or understand is when you see the uh, commercials, usually uh, late night television, early in the morning, uh, you know, telling you that, you know, there's no cost to you, all you have to do is call. Uh, and those are somewhat of a solicitation, but, they're, but they're, they uh, get around some of the rules and regulations about solicitation because they're encouraging you to call them. Uh, and then give your information for, it could be things like uh, orthotic type, you know, braces, which is, or, or power wheelchairs or s certain types of devices, catheters, you see those types of commercials. Those are probably the most well-known schemes, but then other things where you have uh, like healthcare fairs where they, you know, are taking, um, you know, offering to give you, you know, free health checkups, uh, check your vital signs, maybe do blood work or, you know, free, uh, just, you know, kind of preventative care, but it's all kind of a uh, disguise uh, in a sense, just to obtain your information, you know, and a lot of times it impacts uh, the Medicare programs and the Medicaid programs because those are federally funded and uh, they're both good, good faith programs uh, because the intent is to make sure that uh, those providing the medical care are paid relatively uh, quickly, not like your traditional insurance. That's why the value of those, that information is so much. Uh, and people are commonly don't realize that uh, they're getting that information, giving it out unknowingly, only to realize later on down the road that uh, their information has been compromised. Uh, and usually they find that out by... Um, looking at, you know, if they do look at their explanation of benefits or potentially uh, get a bill for services they never received and sometimes are even contacted, you know, by debt collectors. You see that a lot in the private insurance uh, for medical debt that they don't, don't owe, really owe. They had no idea that the services were actually rendered. Uh, and it, it's one of those things that it's compounded so much because you had no idea that it happened. Uh, and then once you realize it, uh, it's it's somewhat of a mess that, uh, you know, has to be undone. Yeah. Out of curiosity, you mentioned that those late night, early morning commercials kind of use a loophole because it's not solicitation because they're encouraging you to reach out. And you mentioned the healthcare fairs. I'm curious, do you know if there 
is any sort of push for more regulation um, in the government in order to put stricter measures or stricter oversight on those types of either events or advertisements? Absolutely, there is. And it's something that's a constant discussion at the government level to try to implement more countermeasures to combat, you know, the fraud, waste and abuse that occurs and especially with medical identity fraud. And so, you know, when I use the reference about the solicitation, you know, and that is for uh, like durable medical equipment, those types of commercials, you know, and that durable medical equipment could be anything, like I said, like back braces, uh, any kind of orthotics, power wheelchairs, ventilators, things of that nature. Uh, there, there are standards and rules in place that uh, those types of healthcare providers have to follow. And one of them is, is about direct solicitation. So this, that's an example of how they have found a loophole or found a way to get around some of the regulations by putting the commercials out there and then you call them. And they usually have like a, a, a go between a, an arbitrator or, or a third party connecting you to someone that potentially is a fraudster uh, to do those types of services. And that's how they get around that. So they're, they're constantly trying to put rules in place uh, to do those things. Also, um, there's also some uh, organizations. There's a, uh, a Medical Identity Theft Alliance has been trying to figure out ways to escalate this type of crime uh, when, they, when they do catch fraudsters this way. Uh, and uh, impose stiffer penalties uh, when when they get the convictions as well. It's it's something that's an ongoing uh, you know as most of the fraud arena. There's always you know once you get ahead of something, you're you're having to constantly shift or pivot because you know once you put countermeasures in place, they figure out other ways to to uh, defraud these types of programs. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like. Every year around June or July, I see a big story from uh, the Department of Justice about their big Medicare, Medicaid fraud roundup that year or cracking down. And I've every year that I've seen that, that big press release of, oh, they've, I can't even remember how many millions or even maybe billions that they manage to catch in these different roundups, but it grows every single year. Each year, it's the largest amount <laughs> that they've they've captured. Um, and I've noticed a lot of it having tie-ins, like you mentioned, the durable medical equipment, but it just seems like a really rich area for, for fraudsters to prey on vulnerable people that need it and are desperate. And if they're offered a potentially what seems like it might be an easy way to access that, I mean, kind of necessity takes over, I think, sometimes red flags when you're in that situation. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the beginning of the conversation, I, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, the general public doesn't realize is that, you know, about $3.6 trillion is spent on healthcare in the United States, uh, you know, at least within the last, you know, that's based off of, you know, 2018, 2019 uh, statistics, you know, they're usually a little bit behind. So, you know, you, you know, we could probably estimate anywhere from 3.6 to, to $4 trillion spent on healthcare here in the country. So that's why it's such a lucrative area for fraudsters to uh, really kind of target, you know, from a financial standpoint, because, 
approximately, you know, the federal government and law enforcement agencies, along with the Department of Justice estimate, uh, you know, up to about a 10% uh, of that cost is potentially or, or fraudulent, uh, which is around $300 billion. So if you kind of consider that, uh, it's a significant amount of money out there of losses, you know, for these programs and for private health insurers. And, you know, approximately, you know, two and a half to three million of the of the people impacted uh, by that kind of fraud are from medical identity theft. Wow. You had talked a little bit before about how one of the things that makes this so insidious is also the fact that it can grow in the shadows and you might be a victim of medical identity theft for years without knowing until you go in for treatment or something happens, or you might find out, you said from the explanation of benefits or being contacted by a debt collector, is there any way that people can be more proactive to try? And I know that for regular identity theft, there are some services through your bank or through credit reporting that you can check your credit report. You can use different consumer services to maybe like you put a credit freeze. Is there any way that you can, that consumers can stay one step ahead potentially of medical identity theft? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, there's a lot of things similar to regular identity theft, like, you know, protecting your, your personal information, you know, like your name, social security uh, number, date of birth, those types of things. But then, you know, to take it a little step further, when you're talking about uh, medical identity theft is, you know, you need to make sure that you protect your, your health insurance enrollment forms, you know, when you're enrolling annually, when you're making your adjustments to maybe your health insurance, or if you're in Medicare or Medicaid, you protect all of your personal information because those documents have a lot of uh, personal information that could be used to, you know, commit fraud uh, in your name, you know, when you're, you're uh, unknowing about it. Um, the health insurance cards that you may have issued, especially, you know, from a private insurance company uh, that it's not from a federal fund, but also your Medicare cards for those that are in those programs or Medicaid cards. uh, You need to protect those, you know, just like you would a credit card or your driver's license, Uh, your prescriptions and uh, prescription bottles that you have, uh, you know, you destroy those, you know, in the same sort of fashion as that you would if you were shredding, you know, uh, important documents that may have sensitive information on it, uh, along with like billing statements from your doctors or your medical providers. Those are some things that you really want to make sure that you protect while you're doing that. And then, you know, you mentioned, and and I spoke about the explanation of benefit statement uh, from your health insurance company or from Medicare or Medicaid, when you get those, you really want to make sure that you are protecting those as well, because it has a lot of identifiers on that, on those documents that could be utilized for that. And then, you know, uh, you might check your credit report uh, and look to see if, you know, regularly, you know, I mean, that's always a suggestion from, from traditional identity theft uh, for looking for things for, you know, credit cards that may have been opened in your name. Uh, You might see things out there as well, uh, from a medical standpoint of, you know, you might have some debt collection from, uh, you know, from a hospital or from another healthcare provider for services that you had had never had rendered to you and you had no idea were out there. 
uh, because somebody had used your information to get those services. So those are just some common things. And, you know, just the general, uh, you should never, ever give your uh, information out to just anyone. Uh, it should be your, you know, healthcare provider that you know, uh, or, uh, you know, if you're in a hospital setting, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to be there for that. You, you would expect that you're going to share that information so that they can get, you know, paid for the services. But you need to make sure you know who you're giving that information to before you give it out. That makes sense. I feel like that's just good practice for literally everything. Now that we're in, we've been in the information age for quite some time, it really, in every aspect of life, it feels like information and data really is the most valuable currency. And it's so important to make sure that you have control over who you're sharing that with and that you have a good handle on who has access to it too. Um, so it seems, yeah, like medical data is just as important as you might consider, like you had mentioned, social security number is linked to both, but also making sure that that Medicare, Medicaid number for your account and that type of stuff, um, that you have a lock on it, basically. What are some of the potential impacts of medical identity theft on patients? You know, I think, you know, other than the financial impact, I think that the only other thing that, that from my perspective that I think is really serious is, is really from a, a physical aspect of, you know, the medical insurance fraud uh, as a result of, of uh, patient misidentification could lead to, you know, serious repercussions in some, some senses, because if someone else is getting services under uh, with your information uh, all along, and then you go to get uh, the services, um, there could be a lot of inaccuracies in your health data, and it potentially could be life-threatening. Uh, if the person that's stolen your data was actually getting services, and maybe they had conditions that, that uh, you don't have, or vice versa, uh, you could end up getting you know, diagnosed wrong, um, there could be delays in treatment, uh, inappropriate care. Uh, and, you know, then you also run the risk of having the data of an imposter being merged with your, your real world data. Uh, and then it becomes a mess for your electronic health records. Uh, and it just, the ramifications just can continue to grow. But overall, the, the physical threat is, you know, you have a, a potential problem that you could be uh, given the wrong type of prescription or drugs if you had a drug allergy. Uh, it's just, it could be potentially life-threatening. And I think that's probably the most important thing before the financial part is that it could be something that could, could grow and uh, turn into, uh, you know, a catastrophic nightmare if it's not something you pay attention and make sure that you're not a victim of. Yeah, that's... I mean, obviously having your identity stolen and losing money and having to fight to try and get any of that back if you can is, is terrible, but that is no comparison to losing your life or getting permanently maimed or have, losing a loved one or having them suffer, like you said, life-threatening consequences or even just ongoing quality of life consequences because of wrong data puts, puts it all in perspective. And also I think underscores how important 
this issue is to to combat. So I, I am encouraged to hear that there's continued pushes for more regulation on these types of things and crackdowns and all of that, and that it's being taken as seriously as it should be, it seems. So if someone thinks that they're a victim of medical identity theft, what options do they have for recourse? Is there a certain body that they should report it to? Is there anything that they can do in addition to reporting it to try and mitigate any negative effects from it? Certainly. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, from a Medicare, Medicaid standpoint, as well as, you know, private health insurance, uh, there, there's several agencies that that combat this. Uh, you know, the one that we primarily work quite a bit with is the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General. Uh, and they have, you know, a fraud hotline. Uh, you know, you can get that information on their website, oig.hhs.gov fraud hotline, uh, and you could make reports that way. And then those complaints go and they're triaged. And then of course they're investigated, you know, by the office of inspector general and then various contractors that they have working, you know, under that, under that guise. Also, you know, from a state standpoint, individual states have a senior Medicare patrol, uh, and these senior Medicare patrols, uh, they assist, you know, lots of people, uh, you know, that are in, in the senior communities with doing things like not, not just uh, reading, you know, your explanation of benefits and, and looking at, you know, you're helping you with understand your uh, medical documents and things, but they also help you to identify maybe when you've been uh, taken advantage of uh, in a certain way, or you're, you potentially could be a victim of uh, medical identity theft, and they help you to try to deal with some of those things before uh, your life becomes disrupted. The Federal Trade Commission also is is a, a you know entity that you know you can contact their consumer advice division under the Federal Trade Commission, and they have a pretty robust program too to combat. Uh, medical identity fraud, as well as identity theft as well. That's really good to know and really important information, I feel like, to share with anyone and everyone, basically. Um, I kind of going back a little bit earlier to talk about the schemes themselves. I'm just curious that, I mean, for the past two years, we've been in a huge global pandemic. And I know that we've seen some lots of stories actually come out about maybe COVID testing sites that weren't regulated properly or they were kind of fly-by-night operations, um, people selling bogus cures and targeting vulnerable people with those. Do you think, I mean, I guess this is kind of a two-part question. Do you, first part, do you think that we will see an explosion of medical identity theft as a result of all of this increased focus on healthcare that everyone has needed to access. And also uh, the second part of that is, do you foresee any further upcoming trends in that arena of how COVID might have affected medical identity theft? Absolutely. I, th I think that um, the pandemic uh, as it's related to the coronavirus or, or COVID-19 has probably uh, been probably the, one of the worst catastrophes, uh, you know, at, at least in my career, 
uh, of creating more, uh, you know, healthcare fraud and, and uh, you know, and that relates to uh, medical identity theft as well. Um, you know, traditionally in the past, you know, when they've had some, uh, what, the, what the government refers to or the Department of Health and Human Services refers to as catastrophes, it's usually things like a hurricane or, or storms or things, which um, we're all familiar with, you know, uh, all over the country, if you go back to like Katrina or Hurricane Ike, or even the ones on the uh, Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast, there was always an impact from that. And so, but it was just usually geographic or, you know, and, and it was based on the demographics of just a small impacted area of the country. Uh, the pandemic uh, has impacted the entire country. Uh, and we will probably see, um, I think probably, you know, within the next, you know, year to two years, you're going to see uh, the imp really the overall impact of the fraud that's coming out of it because uh, we really haven't been able to uh, identify, you know, how how bad the exposure has been. And so, as it relates to medical identity fraud, there already have been we've they've already identified, as you mentioned earlier, they you know they have the fraud takedowns and there is a healthcare fraud stri strike force that is in place and it, it's made up of, of multiple agencies, you know, the FBI, the Office of Inspector General under the Health and Human Services, the Department of Justice, uh, Medicaid fraud control units in states, uh, uh, drug enforcement agency, and some various other uh, law enforcement agencies that all put together looking at that. And so some of the things that they've already identified is you know, false advertisements for COVID-19 testing uh, and treatments. Uh, you know, a lot of it is through social media. Um, you know, also, you know, false testing sites that really um, they, they're offering to do the testing, but really what they end up being is they're, they're scammers uh, that are selling uh, fake and unauthorized tests, but they're also using those as, uh, kind of a, a setup to get your information, to, to obtain, you know, your insurance information or, you know, for Medicare and Medicaid uh, recipients and beneficiaries get their, those identification as well, so they can bill for other services. Um, some of the, some of the um, schemes that have been coming out of it from those federal programs, uh, are you looking for, um, things where they go for a COVID-19 test and then you see, you know, thousands of dollars of like other testing that is not even really related to COVID-19, like genetic testing, uh, drug testing for like opioid usage, which you wouldn't think would be common for somebody that say is a, a, a Medicare beneficiary. Um, and, and, you know, you, you look at the, um, you know, the schemes or the exposure and it's just interesting that, you know, everyone goes in for a COVID-19, you know, a test to see if, if they've contracted the virus and then they're getting multiple other services that, you know, just for example, you know, you might, we might talk to the beneficiaries or interview um, the, the potential, the patients that were billed for it. And they had no, they thought they were just getting a test for the coronavirus. They had no idea they were being tested for other services or had no idea that there had been other services billed 
you know, uh, they hadn't, they weren't aware of that. So you're, you're going to see probably a wave uh, as, as it's starting to unfold, as we start to kind of get back to some normalcy, I think. Uh, you're also going to see some things where people are going to hold on to this information. Like I said, they get it and they sit on it for a little while. You think that you're fine. And then the next thing you know, that information has been sold to fraudsters. And then you might be impacted years down the road and you had no idea that your information was compromised. So we're going to have to monitor that. And and there's going to have to be some efforts to look for those types of activities. It's bleak to think about, but yeah, it kind of seems inevitable that we're going to be feeling the impacts of medical identity theft and healthcare fraud in general that arose and new types of schemes that weren't something that were possible before the pandemic with, you know, large scale testing, like you mentioned, and then running a bunch of other tests um, that we're going to just keep seeing the effects of that, unfortunately, for years and years to come. One last question, and that's if there's a fraud examiner who's working on a case, they might not be a healthcare fraud examiner or specialized in that area, but they're working on investigating another type of fraud case and they start to see evidence that suggests that medical identity theft is involved in that case. Do you have any advice for them of what next steps to take or who to, I know that you mentioned different, the Department of Health and Human Services, OIG or state agencies, but um, when they're in the course of the investigation, do you have any advice for resources for them to turn to? You know, I think my number one advice would be going back to, I would report it immediately if they suspected or see, um, you know, signs that it potentially that's what it could be uh, to, you know, health and human services, uh, office of inspector general, or, you know, to their, even their local law enforcement, because they'll all, they'll all lead back to the health and human services tips line or hotlines. Uh, even if, if you're, you're not sure about it, it's good to report that and then, you know, have a discussion or a dialogue with uh, the experts, you know, related to the health and the healthcare fraud industry, uh, because more than likely it potentially could be something or it could be something new that uh, hasn't been uncovered or, or um, hasn't been identified yet. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. And thank you for listening. You can find this podcast and all ACFB Fraud Talk episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Thompson, signing off.